Hey guys, um, welcome to the first episode of Creepy and Crime with Kate. Um, just decided to do this for fun. Don't really expect anything out of it, um, but I love true crime. And I just thought I'd stick my toes into it and do my part. Um... So, let's get started. Um, I did my first episode based on um, the Tampa Mobsters, also known as the Traficante Crime Family. And I got all my information off Wikipedia, um, MafiaFandom.com, and TampaPix.com. Um, so, let's just dive right in. The Traficante crime family, and they're also known as the Tampa Mafia, it was started in 1925 by a man named Ignacio Antinori. And I apologize if I am butchering these names, <laughs> but uh, I'm doing my best on these. Um, he, it was named after... The, the mob was named after Santo Traficante Sr. And the territory of this family-run mafia went all the way from Hillsborough to Tampa Bay. And it expanded into this, like, throughout the state of Florida and it even reached back to Cuba. Um, their life of running the streets money and drugs it continued all the way up until the early 2000s and I was honestly surprised at how long it went um it started in the early 1920s so heck that's a long time um let's start with Ignacio Antonori he was the initiator of this mafia. Um, He was born in Sicily, Italy on the 17th of February in 1885. Not much of his early life is known. I couldn't find a lot of information on him, Um, but he was the one of the first mobsters to emerge in Florida during the Prohibition era. It was very um, taboo to drink alcohol and whatnot, so there was a lot of controversy with that. By the 1930s, Antonori became one of the largest heroin traffickers in the U.S., and he received drugs from Marcel, France. It went through Cuba, and then he got it imported into Tampa, Florida, um, where he was based out of. So, next we're going to bring in Santo Traficante, who is the namesake of the infamous Tampa Mobsters. He was born on the 28th of May in 1886 in Siciliana, Sicily, Italy. So, let's just go with Sicily, Italy. Uh, He immigrated to Tampa at 18 years old. And he was in charge of a small Italian gang. And then Antonori came along and invited him to join in um, so they could expand the territory, expand the control, um, just kind of 
try and work together and yeah just take over um they were heavily involved with bolita and it's a type of lottery that was popular in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in cuba and it kind of was brought over into the florida's working class um, hispanic italian and the black population there there were many illegal bolita games that were set up across the state of florida giving Traficante Sr. a respected reputation by the other mobsters in the era and even beyond state lines. So he did have that name out there for um, over a couple state lines, um, but mainly he was running it in Florida. Going back to Ignacio Antinori, um, he did have one specific rival. His name is Charlie Wall. And Charlie controlled many of the gambling rackets and corrupt government officials around. And he highly disliked this competition that was coming from Antonori and the growing mafia that him and um, Traficante Sr. were starting. And these two were at the head of this bloody rival that lasted almost 20 years from the 1920s all up through the 1940s. And this was known as the quote-unquote era of blood. Near the end of this rival, Ivaristo quote-unquote Tito Rubio, he was Charlie Wall's right-hand man in all of this, uh, was shot on his front porch on the 8th of March in 1938. And it isn't clear on who shot Rubio. They were very private. They were good at keeping... um, like identities secret uh, when they were committing these crimes Um, but it is rumored to be someone that did work under the Antinori umbrella Um, and then the era of blood ended on the 22nd of October in 1940 when Ignacio Antinori was at the Palm Garden Inn in Tampa was having some coffee with a friend and um, a young female companion as well and then all of a sudden a gunman appeared fired two bullets from a shotgun at him and he blew off the back of his head Um, so pretty guaranteed to kill him Um, with Antonori dead the mafia was left to be led by their namesake Santo Traficante Sr. He began to teach his son, Santo Traficante Jr., how to run the city and how to um, take over the mob and just to set him up for when he passed away. Uh, And Traficante Sr. made himself appear to be simply a successful Tampa cigar factory owner. But what was beneath all of that was the illegal Bolita lotteries. He was keeping his criminals activities under wraps. He stayed away from law enforcement and even jail time. Um, There wasn't much about him and 
he ended up passing away of natural causes on the 11th of August in 1954. So let's rewind a bit. Um, We're going to bring in Santo Traficante Jr. He was born in Tampa, Florida on the 15th of November 1914. And growing up, his father taught him all the ways of the mob, how to... Um, perfect working the system and how to make it big in the mafia and he actually ended up dropping out of high school in the 10th grade uh, to work on it more full-time so he could um, just kind of do that in life instead he thought that would take him further in life than doing school and whatnot Um, after Traficante Sr.'s death, um, Santo Traficante Jr. took over what his father had created, and he ended up living up to the expectations. He controlled the organized criminal operations in Florida and in Cuba, and he was known to be one of the most powerful mob bosses around, actually. Um, He had several residencies in New York City and in Florida. I think just for the convenience of going from place to place and checking up on the territories that he had. Um, His part in the mob ranged all over. He had his toes in several legal casinos in Cuba of Havana drive-in movie theater and shares in restaurants and bars in Tampa. In 1955, he moved to Cuba and got involved with the Cuban dictator at the time, Batista, as well as gaining a quote-unquote mob accountant, they would call him, uh, Meyer Lansky, so I guess to just organize all the money that's coming in and um, just keep in track of everything and under Batista he was able to openly operate the casino international gambling establishments that were in Havana during his span of time running the mafia Traficante Jr. was no stranger to law enforcement he got in trouble a lot apparently um In the 1960s, he actually ended up admitting to recruiting mobsters to assassinate Fidel Castro. And he wasn't able to have the amount of free reign as he did with Batista. So I think that kind of made him a little nervous. And if these... Well, he admitted, so it was true, but... um, I think he just was like, okay, I need to get this problem out of the way and um, tried to recruit some people to do the job for him because he didn't want to get his hands dirty. Uh, Later on in 1978, there were investigations of possible links between Lee Harvey Oswald and the anti-Castro Cubans. Um, And there was even a theory that Castro himself had President John F. Kennedy killed in retaliation for the CIA's attempt to assassinate Castro. 
And there were many times that Traficante Jr. was caught doing all of these illegal activities. And he was arrested a lot. But he never actually did spend a day in jail, which is pretty surprising. Um, but the justice system back then wasn't, like... I mean, it has its flaws today, but back then it was a lot more lenient, I think. Um, And plus, he's a mobster, so he does have that money, um, like, aspect of it to where he can wave his money around and get what he wants. Um, So if not him, someone else in the mob would come and bail him out or something of that nature um so on the 17th of march in 1987 santo traficante jr died of natural causes at the age of 72 um he didn't ever get in serious trouble he just kind of got arrested here and there but never went to jail um and he ran the mob pretty well for if running the mob is done well (laughs) I think he did a good job um and he didn't have any sons he only had daughters so um the next person that would take over was Vincent Loscalzo and he is the son of one of the Traficante crime family's quote-unquote soldiers. So as like someone who did their dirty work um, could be someone that maybe did some of the crimes for them um, that we named earlier and some of the murders. So who knows? Um, but after Traficante's junior's death... Florida became an open territory for the mob. So because there was no namesake, no one to pass it down, someone else had to take over. Um, And it kind of broke apart. The Loscalzo family was pretty small. And as time went on, a lot of the mobsters either retired or had died. Um, there wasn't a lot of mob activity in, like, into the late 80s, early 90s. Um, it kind of died down a bit just because of so many of them getting sent to jail or getting murdered. And it just wasn't as popular of a way of life anymore. Um, the Lascalzo family was small. And, yeah, it wasn't too much going on. Um, They did dip their toes in gambling, prostitution, narcotics, union racketeering, hijacking, and even fencing stolen goods. So there was a lot. Um, that they were involved in and it was kind of heavier than some of the stuff in the early years of the mob um but Vincent Loscalzo um he controlled some bars 
um, lounges, restaurants, nightclubs, and liquor stores all over Florida. Um, and he also had ties out all the way to California, all up in New Jersey, and New York. And he even was connected to the Sicilian Mafia. So he, even though it was a small territory in Tampa, there were a lot of other areas that were getting that mob attention and that mob control. On the 1st of July in 1989, uh, Los Calzo was indicted on racketeering charges and that included grand theft. And the charges were actually dropped later on and then reinstated back up. Um, There wasn't too much on that or why. Um, So maybe they found new evidence to arrest him for this. Um, But he ended up pleading no contest on the 7th of October in 1997. And he only received three months of probation. So... Even though he did get arrested, he got off pretty easy for all that. And in 1992, he was arrested at the Tampa International Airport. And the x-ray scanner showed that he was carrying a loaded 38 caliber pistol in his briefcase. And he was arrested and ended up being convicted for the charge in 1999 and was sentenced to 60 days in jail. So again, pretty light sentence for the crime that he committed. Um, And thinking about that now, it's like, that would never fly today. (laughs) Like, you would spend more time I would like to think or um who knows I am not involved in law so I am not the person to ask but um it's definitely interesting that such a short sentence was given on that and it was it being loaded too I just feel like that's uh not too responsible to do so um but it might have been early on for the bag check and whatnot so it might have not thought about all of that as well that he could possibly get caught um in 2007 um he did an article and or was interviewed for an article He alleged he was a legitimate businessman and a regular Joe just working for a living. And he worked at the Emerald Greens Golf and Country Club. Um, I think his track record shows that he's a little bit more involved than being a legitimate businessman. I think that it just shows that he was part of the mob you have that track record and he was also registered as an agent of Mahalo Auto Sales he was reputed to have an interest in the now bankrupt value car auto sales his past employment includes interest in 
Rumors Lounge, Blue Penguin Lounge, Deuce Lounge, Chip and Bar, Blind Pig Bar, Jack's Liquor, Scoreboard Lounge, Ernesto's Bar and Package, Imperial Liquors, Bill Barber Wholesale, A Tirana Grocery and Market, Mike's Lounge, Lovell, Sal Incorporated, Brothers Lounge, and basically just tipped his toes in anything he could be a part of. Um, I don't know if all of those businesses are still around. I assume not. Um, but he just kind of had a, a part of every thing he could get into and um I think just trying to be in charge of a lot and be involved in the city um but he is still alive um I believe he is in jail but isn't a lot of info about them. I think they kind of try and keep private um, just because they if there is still mafia ties out there they don't want to be known. Um, It's kind of more an underground thing so um, yeah but the Traficante crime family is now considered almost irrelevant as crime families from other states have moved in on that territory. Um, they've taken over the rackets, and most of the Tampa family's members have either died or retired over the years. Uh, I think nowadays the mafia and the mob, it's just not as popular anymore because... Um, just the ways of the law, law enforcement are catch on easily. Um, they can't really buy their way out. Um, maybe I'm wrong though. I, I just don't think it's that popular of a crime wave to jump on anymore. Um, I think it's in a way, I guess, there are gangs and such, um, so maybe that gangs started becoming the new mafia, um, kind of running the streets and whatnot, but, um, yeah, this case was pretty interesting, um, I didn't know that Tampa, Florida had a mob, and I thought it was really cool that uh, all this had happened, and uh, it was even happening up until, like, the early 2000s, Um, um, but I guess it makes sense, like, all the casino life and such, and people enjoying their gambling and stuff it kept the mafia running because they had their part in it so 
Yeah, that is um, the Traficante crime family, also known as the Tampa Mobsters. Um, And I hope you enjoyed this. Um, I'm just getting started, so I'm still figuring out how to do it all and how to make it more interesting. But if you have any suggestions, um, any crimes you would like me to do, please uh, shoot me an email. Uh, it's creepycrimewithkate at yahoo.com. Um, so just shoot me an email. Give me suggestions. I'm totally open to anything. So... Um, creepy stories, crime stories, and I will report it, whatever the community would like to hear. Alrighty, well thank you for listening, and that is a wrap for me. You guys have a good week, and I'll be back. Yeah.